What's up? Welcome to episode 40 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today is my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What up? And despite all the trigger warnings, we dig deep into the bench <laughs> to bring back the most triggered guy in comicbook.com. Charlie Ridgely's here with that us. That can't be true. Uh, I feel like I always hear very, you guys yelling. I mean, it is here. very true. That, that We need a whole podcast true. to just to like unravel this. But uh, I don't say that in a bad way because you're a passionate, you're a passionate man, you, and you and you like what you like. Excited about stuff, exactly. and that's what we need on this podcast. Uh, the people love passionate people. So we brought you on today because Charlie Ridgely is going to help us break down the new film, Men in Black International, which he saw and reviewed for us. I but did. we got a lot of other stuff to talk about too. We've had some uh, big, a big trailer drop in the form of uh, a Stephen King trailer, movie trailer, the new one that's come out that we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about some uh, TV updates that are coming for series that have been announced or some series that are going to be making a return that we're very excited about. And because we got to live up to the name of this show every so often, Matthew Aguilar is going to take us through what is big in comics this week. What, what? And there are some big things. So we got to get to all of that. And we're going to start at the top of the show by jumping into a little bit of horror. Because we have something, some horror, uh, some <laughs> because we have a little. I don't, bit to I don't talk like about. that. At some at some point, you need to get Joe Blackman to say horror to you, and oh god, how does? Oh yeah, because it, it it doesn't sound anything like the word horror at all. Horror, 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 horror. It's horror. all one syllable. I anyway, for horror, because uh, yeah, but <laughs> on the horror front, it. there is one king, and it is Mr. Stephen King, and we are getting a sequel to one of his most iconic and famous. Stories ever, The Shining. Um, I don't know how well people keep up with uh, Stephen King stuff, but there was a book sequel released to The Shining that Stephen King released a few years back, and it was called Doctor Sleep. And now Doctor Sleep is a movie, and that movie stars Ewan McGregor as the grown-up version of Danny Torrance, the little boy from The Shining who had The Shining. And today we got a first look at what this movie is going to be like, and. It's safe to say it's kind of a very different. If you're expecting like The Shining Part Two, it's not quite not that at all. at all. But it is interesting in the sense that this movie, since the trailer has come out, there's been a lot of chatter, and this movie essentially functions as both an adaptation of King's Doctor Sleep novel, which was a sequel to his Shining novel, which was a very different thing than the movie that Stanley. Kubrick made mm -hmm. adapting Stephen King's uh, mm -hmm. Shining book, which famously they weren't weren't didn't see eye to eye about uh, the Shining film adaptation. But Doctor Sleep, the movie, is apparently going to straddle the line and be both an adaptation of King's kind of pure Shining world source material and function as a sequel to the Kubrick version of the film, which is something that is made very clear in this first trailer from a lot of the visual cues that they actually. Uh, director Mike Flanagan, who you know from like Oculus or more recently The Haunting of Hill House, is doing this film, and he had a lot of uh, recreations of the Overlook Hotel from The Shining, from Kubrick's version of The Shining. Um, a lot of the imagery that is so famous from that film is recreated here. We got some musical, yeah, we got musical cues. Uh, I think that's your word for musical cues, but we had musical cues, and like so, yeah. So this is going to be an interesting thing, and it basically the premise is. That there, Ewan McGregor is grown up. Is grown up, Danny. He's kind of had all the 
traumas and problems that go with his gift of The Shining, plus all of his experiences, especially like the Overlook Hotel. And he kind of comes in contact with a young girl who has the most, most powerful kind of version of The Shining of these psychic powers that he's seen yet. But the twist is there's also this roving band of like what look like essentially gypsy kind of shining vampire. Yeah, they're creepy. People led by <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson um, who basically find people with a shining and feed on their powers. And of course, now this girl's looking like a real great snack and it's kind of up to Danny to protect her, but he's a damaged hero. So, and that's kind of what we get. And um, it was an interesting trailer. I think it, it, the first trailer plays on like what Mike Flanagan's strength is, which is this kind of line between supernatural and psychological horror, which is what he's very good at. Um, Oculus was very much his breakout film, which he made out, mm. out of one of his short films, is very much about that. And of course, Haunting of Hill House was very much about that. It was a mix of kind of like families in psychological drama and supernatural horror. So we get that kind of taste of what that's going to be like in this trailer. There's a lot of shots of like Danny having a conversation with some entity or whatever this wall is. There's a lot of weird Stephen King things yeah. in here. Like he has like a message board going with a wall of a, that may or may not be a supernatural presence that says stuff to him. And then, you know, the red rum comes back from The Shining and all that. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, it's very, very interesting. A very interesting first trailer. A lot of great imagery. We're going to get you guys' thoughts. But um, my whole thing from takeaway from this is like, if people are really expecting to jump in back into The Shining, like this is going to be a little bit jarring for those types. Yeah, like, you kind of got to go into this with the open mind of getting something truly new. Yeah, that just kind of has this connective thread to The Shining. So like almost like Castle Rock in a way or something like that. I mean, that's kind of how I felt watching the trailer because I think, and it's weird too. I actually prefer the first half of the trailer to the second half, but you could say the second half is more. Uh, homages the movie more in the second half yeah. the music flows and some of the imagery so that's the one i expected to like but i actually liked the first half better just because i thought that was just a better trailer i thought that stuff was more interesting and then once we start getting into the the typical things you would expect it kind of was like me like it's it, so it's weird so i'm actually looking forward to it for the new stuff as opposed to just returning back to that world i mean that's definitely what I'll check out. And see, I've, I feel almost the complete opposite of what you're saying, Kobe, because I didn't, I didn't expect this to tie into Kubrick Shining at all. I didn't pay a ton of attention to like the, the, the pre-production and like kind of like the making of this movie as it was going along. But I assumed because it was an adaptation of Stephen King's book that it would have nothing to do with Kubrick's version of The Shining. It would just be kind of a standalone movie about the events of Danny Torrance long after The Shining. It might explain some things, and obviously watching The Shining helped. But, you know, uh, King famously does not like what happened in Kubrick's Shining. And so then to see the imagery and, like, the actual recreated scenes from the original movie in this was crazy because I didn't expect because it at Stephen all. Stephen King I, likes money. He, do, he does right. like money. <laughs> at some point, I guess he has but, to. You know, I, I really... <laughs> I was really surprised to see that, and I was really glad to see that. And I love how they've kind of turned it and taken the story and kind of molded it to the original while still making it an original uh, from Stephen King. And like the fact that it, Stephen King had to give his permission before they did it, 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 it's a really, a really unique situation that I didn't expect to see or to kind of find myself in going. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be getting used to the changes. I mean, it is making some big changes to mm -hmm. his source material, and he understands like, yeah, the success of these things 
on a mainstream movie level is going to be much different and he can't hold on to this. But it also seems like he's had to acknowledge in the time that, you know, despite his best efforts to like put out that crap miniseries like in the 90s or whatever. Yeah, of, of The Shining. Of The Shining. Yeah. Like, yeah, like the this Kubrick. This is the accepted. Yeah, the Kubrick version is the version. Yeah, and like, right. not you, only that, but like one of the best known Stephen King horror you know, pieces pieces of horror. I mean, that's it, out it's there. probably the the it's one of the pinnacle, like most well known horror films, period. And so yeah. it's got to be one of, if not his top, like talked about known. Yeah, exactly. Adaptation so. could could this movie swing uh, the the tide back and give Stephen King adaptations a winning percentage, or do we think? I mean, just I think that's already happened. Seen? Has it outside of yeah. it? I just mean like critical, sort of critical acclaim. Castle Rock was very middle of the road. There were a lot of people who hated it. A lot of people, I liked it. Yeah. But I think like the only like true wins that Stephen King has gotten are is it, both mm-hmm. the old one and the new one. In The Shining. Well, I mean, but the, Pet Cemetery is a cult in the middle road. favorite, I mean, but it wasn't. He like, had, I mean, he had a string of cult hits in the eighties and nineties. All those movies, The Langoliers, Sleepwalkers. I mean, even things like Lawnmower Man, like, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. I mean, he had a running as low budget horror, like he was doing right. all right. I mean, big blockbuster horror hits. So far it's still it. Pet Cemetery I mean, was Carrie kind of is lukewarm. still I mean, um, Carrie's not a blockbuster, but Carrie is one of the like the pinnacle. Yeah, Everyone's Carrie is a very Carrie iconic is one. Um, Cujo, like, yeah, yeah, I mean so I mean for new age horror, I mean like, yeah, it has been it. Carrie, the remake didn't do so well. Um, Pet Cemetery remake was kind of lukewarm, but I think that had a lot to do with the fact that Pet Cemetery is just a, a weird, weird story <laughs> yeah. to yeah. try to adapt. Hollywood keeps thinking it's a good idea because of the premise, mm-hmm. like people coming back from the dead. But it, it's actually a very weird story, and I think we did we talked about this when we reviewed it. Like this was a good Pet Cemetery. The production was there, yeah. the horror was there, mm-hmm. all that's there. It's just still you watch it, and you're like, man, this is freaking weird. Yeah, like but that's the other thing is is you look at like okay. Dr. Sleep could initiate this like critical wave, but the Stephen King wave is already like we are so far into it because of what it did, because it, I think, was that catalyst to do so many things. We don't know if they're going to be good or bad, but I mean, I almost once a month, maybe we write up something about how a new King work is being adapted to TV or to film. And so in the next five years, we're going to have, I mean, Dozens have, upon dozens have, of Stephen King adaptations. What, the um, Dark Tower thing is still coming. Yeah, Stand is in the Stand works. is still. In the I mean, and then every every like novella he's done that has been like lesser known is going like yeah. already has a thing because Hollywood they, they want thinks, Stephen King's it, name. I on. mean, I mean, the work has already been done. Hollywood already thinks Stephen King is like a hot brand again. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I mean, he's going to keep collecting his money. Um, but I think Doctor Doctor Sleep is smart to go with the Kubrick ties because that's going to. Have any of you guys the read the book? Have you read the book of the shining? Doctor Sleep. Or no, Doctor Sleep. I've no. read Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep is, is actually it's great. So that's why like I'm super excited for I it. I hate Stephen King, so no. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like Stephen King. I've heard really mixed things about Doctor Sleep from from big Shining fans. Like mm-hmm. I know people are kind of like some people really love it, and some people kind of like fall fell off on it. But that's I think it's to be expected. Almost any time you have something so beloved like the Shining, yeah. and a yeah. sequel comes in all that time later, like. It's rare that you're gonna get something. Yeah. He didn't that ruin works it. So I mean, well. he didn't ruin it. So like, there is potential here. Yeah, so, right. Um, yeah, I think it's gonna be the things that'll draw people in will be the kind of the, the ties to Kubrick's film. But I think there is enough substance to the book 
And I trust people like Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, yeah. And dude from uh, the uh, Native American dude from Westworld who plays oh, like her hunchman. Yeah, I can't remember yeah. his name off the top of my head, but he's in it. He's her henchman. And that whole kind of, I think they have good enough villains in this to really kind of make it interesting. The, and, the little girl from Hill House is in there too, and she's really talented. Yeah. So, I mean, they got a lot of talent going in this. And Mike yeah. Flanagan is like one of the three kind of horror directors that came up with like Andy Muschietti and David F. Sanders, they all kind of jumped from making these indies that they mm. made. Andy made Andy Machete made Mama. Uh, David F. Sanders made Lights Out, and Mike Flanagan made Oculus. Oculus yeah. And these shorts that became successful big budget horror films. And I trust him to make this jump. I mean, Hill yeah. House was really good. I mean, hey, so he, I he have, did Flanagan did yeah. just like uh, David F. Sandberg did, like jumped and did a sequel to a, uh, a Blumhouse movie that was way better than the original. Yeah, Sandberg did Annabelle Comes Home or not Comes Home. Um, uh, Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, Creation and, Flanagan and then Flanagan did, did Ouija, uh, the Ouija did or, Origin yeah, of Evil, which, which was way better than the yeah, first one. Yeah, we were one. just talking about Ouija Origin yeah. of Evil because we were talking about the Magic Eight Ball movie that's coming out. And I was saying, like, Ouija Origin of Evil is like the only one of those toy-based horror yeah, games. It really uh, Toy-based horror movies that actually and was A lot of that had to do enjoyable. with Flanagan. Yeah, Flanagan uh, and little Lulu Wilson, who was also in Annabelle and <laughs> yeah. Ouija 2. So, like, yeah. So I trust this guy. And um, I trust there's enough rich material in King's book to make it interesting and enough kind of of his knowledge of the Kubrick film to really kind of make that connection solid. So I, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic about this one. Nice. Yeah, it's a little wild that it's coming, like, what, two months after It Chapter 2? Yeah. Like, right in that window, we're getting both of these movies back-to-back, and it's... Yeah. We're going to have... It's going to be a lot. Really well for Stephen it. King sat oversaturation. But or if, people will compare yeah, it if, if, to if, It. <laughs> if It does really well, it, that's really good news for, for Dr. Sleep, which I don't think that it's going to do poorly. At the no, moment. I don't see it doing poorly it. either. So, all right, moving right along, we're going to move over into the kind of animated slash anime side to talk about the first of three TV show announcements that were kind of uh, notable that kind of stuck out to us this week, and that is that The Boondocks is coming back. We talked about this a couple weeks ago because it was kind of You've been on that Boondocks beat? Yeah, we were on that Boondocks beat. (laughs) I'm always on that Boondocks beat. But uh, we got word from John Witherspoon, who star Friday and is the voice of Grandpa in The Boondocks, that it was coming back. He was just kind of offhandedly making a remark while talking to Joe Rogan. And everybody scrambled. We are like, well, what the hell does that mean? Like, you know, and everybody yeah. was going into it. Are we finally getting Boondocks Season 5? We talked to the producers here at comicbook.com because uh, they have a new show called Sugar and Toys Out, and we asked Carl Jones and Brian Ash, and they gave us a kind of non-answer answer that uh, kind of showed that, yeah, they were involved in something with the Boondocks, but they wouldn't say anything specific. Now, this week, we are getting the official information that the series isn't going to season five. It is getting a full kind of, quote-unquote, reimagining or reboot launch, and that series creator Aaron Magruder is back, and he's involved into helping to bring this back. Um, He stepped out of season four of the show, which they've just produced without him, and it was uh, obviously, like, the most hated and well-deserved for the hate, like, lackluster season of the show. Someone that important... Yeah, leaves and it's yeah very somebody hard. who's has you know who is the DNA of this entire thing <laughs> just like leaves, um, but it it is time and and Magruder hasn't this isn't just on the TV side Magruder if you haven't been paying attention has been it's funny because he's like not down you could tell he's so not down with like social media so he's been like dropping new Boondocks con- cartoons through like famous people's just accounts keeps handing it to people yeah. <laughs> Like, Charlemagne the God radio personality, Charlemagne, like, he's been giving him, like, hey, here's a new strip, and Charlemagne puts it out on his Instagram, but 
Um, if you look at the hashtag <laughs> Boondocks is Boondocks back, you can find a lot of these strips. And uh, it's Magruder basically reacting to, to modern times in the era that we're in. We're in such a different place now. Uh, it's funny because the Boondocks started as like the cartoon. I mean, the strip has been around forever, but the cartoon really caught on as kind of skewering the Bush era and a lot of stuff that was going on in pop culture in, during the Bush era. Um, it didn't pull any punches when it got into the Obama era. And, and then it went away Yeah, and before then, before Trump, this. yeah, before Trump <laughs> happened, the Boondocks went away, and it's been quiet on that front. And now Magruder's back, and he has plenty to say about everything from you know Donald Trump and the realities of his presidency to the Mueller report and all that to everything with the controversies that were kind of like Me Too and Times Up and things going on with like uh, pop culture figures like the R. Kelly and Michael Jackson debates about who these men were and what do we do with their music. There's a hilarious one where Grandpa's like turning off the R. Kelly songs, like, I'm not listening to this anymore. He's like, I'm going back to good music, and he turns up Thriller, and he's, like, dancing again and, like, cheering, which is its own, like, little social commentary. Uh. So all of this is on the table, and you know it's going to be back, and I am so hyped because I think these days and times need the boondocks, so oh, it's I'm perfect hyped for, it. for this. It's like any time when, uh, like, during the off season when, you know, like, last week tonight or even, like, SNL go off air for yeah. a couple months and all this stuff happens and you're like... Dude, I wish it was still here yeah. so I could see what they're going to say yeah. about that. Omar always has to do deal with that. Like every time he goes off for a season, he's like, he does like a fake headlines yeah. of things I think will happen by the time. And like, this is like off. perfect. Like we've been, oh my God, this would be amazing. An amazing to see what they say about that climate. And so, yeah, I'm down. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't read our interview with Carl Jones and Brian Ash, because they give us one of the funniest answers is I just asked them, like, would Riley Freeman be down with Donald Trump? And their answer is hilarious and spot on for, like, how Riley Freeman would react to Donald Trump in, like, being president. And it's just in, like, it just makes me want this so bad. Um, So, like, yeah, Charlie. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not as big of a fan as you are, I think, uh, because I was I was a little bit younger. Um, when it was going on and I wasn't paying attention to it, but I've watched episodes here and there and it was, I always loved how it could be so politically driven and also really hilarious. Like, like that was other than South Park, one of the first, the only times I saw that. And I think today's age is so great for that to have a counter to South Park, not to be in opposition to it, but to kind of work as a compliment and to have a very different perspective um, than the guys that make South Park have yeah, uh, to come a- at it with it with a much a, a much broader, more down to earth like approach to making fun of what's happening in our world. And, and I think that there has not been a better time to have a show like the Boondocks than there is now. Yeah, I think it's that nice to have some nuance that Boondocks yeah. has. Yeah, that <laughs> South Park, which I love South Park's riffing on. Stuff. Yeah, but yeah, sometimes there is a little bit of a. A subtlety that's missing. Yeah, the Boondocks nice. kind of has a voice where South Park is just like, and the South Park guys are kind of going through this right now, this depression, because they, they feel like, oh, we've been like totally nihilistic or something like that. Yeah. And now that hasn't worked out for society, whereas the Boondocks is a little bit more. Just a little. In its yeah. Social commentary and stuff. So, yeah. So we're all hyped. Moving on to something we might not be as hyped for. We're hearing that a Fast and Furious animated series is getting made. Uh, Fast and Furious Spy Racers, like, yeah. <laughs> That's so gross. <laughs> I kept writing Speed Racers when I was, like, writing the articles. But it's, it, in my mind, wouldn't register, like, no, it's actually spy called Spy Racers. Racers. Yeah, man. Oh, my God. Looking through this trailer again right now, like, yeah. It's not great. 
They don't. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not um, even not great. It's so forgettable. It's it, literally. Netflix, I mean, who cares? Right? <laughs> so Netflix is getting in on the Fast and Furious franchise with spy races, and this trailer doesn't tell us anything. No, like it's just two souped-up cars racing through like the aqueducts of Los Angeles, and it doesn't tell us anything about like what spying would be involved. Also, the style's in so boring. I mean, it's the exact same style. It's the same thing they're doing with DreamWorks Animation. That is big partnership. They're doing the same thing with Jurassic World. Make a Jurassic World spinoff series that's animated. It's going to be on Netflix. It's yeah. geared more toward you know young teenagers, it's and just, that's exactly what we're doing with with uh, with Fast and Furious. And it's just the it's fact just that it's missing style. Now I do like teenage that, character yes. Tony Toretto. I do like that they're linking it somewhat. The younger cousin of Vin Diesel's Dominic there, it's, Toretto. It's, Matt, it's the same story. I know. <laughs> I did look. Literally, I'm he's going to say Tony positive Dominic Toretto's my cousin, and that's the only thing you're going to see. And then he's going to get roped into a government situation. <laughs> yep. The synopsis says he's going to get roped yep. in yep. to a government agent that wants him to infiltrate race car drivers. It's like he is he has the Toretto name, but he's playing the Brian character. And that's... I'm not saying he's going to be it. good. No, I mean, that is a perfect thing. It is like, let's just lump Brian and, and Dom into one character. One character. Yeah. I know. I know no, I'm disappointed. Like, I was... When we first... Like, uh, when I saw the headline, I was like, oh, yeah, that could be great. And then I watched it and read the Why thing. would you like, think that could be I great? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> you don't know? I mean, just... I love the Fast and Furious because franchise. If, I mean, as I wrote in the show notes for this, like, this thing has become a damn cartoon anyway. Yeah. So, like, you... you I mean, give me... some kind of cool if, action if, if, thing. If you give me It's a total satire of the, the franchise, and you're no. making a show that's, like, it's funny and, like... Self-aware about give what's happening the in the franchise. That's awesome. Doing what they do in the films yeah. in more believable fashion because it's animation. Give me the cast of, of the things. movies. Like, yeah. Have them voicing their characters, do ridiculous stuff, and have it in a fun, energetic, visual style. And I'd watch that. Yeah. But that has none of the personality. But, but that and I won't. And, and the, the thing is that you're we're reading into this because it's our jobs. But no one's going to do that. It's on Netflix, so it's free to most people. You're going to oh, Fast and Furious. My kid likes that, and then Netflix makes money. Yeah, instantly. Yeah, and yeah. they, they oh, spend we, almost nothing well, we on it. We know the business side of this. <laughs> it's, like, it's that's what we're ridiculous. saying is gross. Like we know the business side. It's of just this. a bummer. It's like your franchise is stalling a little bit. What do you do? You animate. Well, and they have like a spinoff series for every DreamWorks franchise on Netflix. Yeah, like trolls, you know, like, trolls. Yeah, How to Train Your Dragon, Puss in Boots, um, Boss Baby. Has a like four well, different series on there because that's I mean that's a good series. <laughs> Kung Fu Panda does like yeah I mean but that's a good idea no seriously because the Boss Baby thing is like a, it's like a I like the movie it's a sitcom scenario you can go back to over and over again. I love the yeah. movie the, yeah. the actual. Movie. I mean it makes sense with taking an animated property making it look similar. They're just starting to now do it with live action properties the exact same way and I think that's what's like oh wait this is different and it kind of changes things and makes you think more about like what are they actually Look, doing. I mean they can do I'm going to try to I always try to be even sided and say if I'm going to go negative also go positive like on things so the one thing I can say is like yeah in animation we could get some really sick action racing sequences like I tried to go positive but Charlie blew a hole in on my positive arguments <laughs> so I hope that's what great, I'm here for I that's I why I'm here great CGI like animated action uh, like racing sequences I mean that's all I can think of and they better get one hell of a kid to play this do- uh, this because he's gonna have yeah, to carry the show <laughs> Tony Toretto they better get one hell of a voice actor because he's gonna have his work cut they're out just gonna do the baby Groot thing with Vin Diesel can he's get- gonna voice it they're gonna just alter it in post oh my can I get gosh. Kevin Hart I just saw him no, voice stop, Snowball. Stop, stop. I want Snowball and Fast and the Furious. Stop. What's uh, wrong with you? What's so wrong with you? You kind of want it, no, don't you? No, I don't. Panda. We're getting John Cena in Fast and Furious, and that's Panda, awesome. Panda. 
God. That's, that's it. That's all I need. <laughs> Let's talk about something else that's coming to live action. Uh. So, Krypton is back for season two. Uh, one of the dark horse hits of last year, in my opinion, Krypton. I didn't hear so much chatter about it, but it was like one of the better comic book TV shows to come out of the last few years, in my opinion. Um, just what they do with the Superman mythos and the kind of way they spun that. It has a great cast of actors that do really good jobs and yeah, some good production values for, for this DC live action DC stuff. So season two is now back after a big kind of cliffhanger from season one. And one of the biggest selling points for season two and all the trailers has been the fact that they're bringing in Lobo, uh, DC's, you know, big bounty hunter. And now, Lobo's already kind of set up to get his own spinoff series over at Sci-Fi, which I'm kind of happy about because I've been waiting for Lobo to to do something in live action DC for a lot of years since we've been reporting on this movie for like ten years. Um, <laughs> the Michael Bay Lobo still movie still in development with Michael Bay. I don't know, but I think you know I always get nervous, especially now right now on something like Sci-Fi that they're putting the cart before the horse because, like, let's get through sci like, a couple episodes of Krypton. Let's let this Lobo yeah. character kind of gel. Let's let the actor who's uh, playing him, uh, Emmett Scanlon, who's from Constantine, like, let's let him get some fan, like, some fan cred, some street yeah. cred under him. And then you announce me in Lobo series because I feel like this is almost like the opposite of Swamp Thing right now. Like... Swamp yeah. Thing got canceled right after I started getting into that, like, and it just got here. And it's like, Krypton just got here, now you're telling me to get signed up for Lobo. Well, Sci-Fi, you also took away Happy, and you also took away <laughs> Deadly Class. Sci-Fi so takes away like, everything. Yeah, it takes away everything. So, like, it's hard for me to even think this headline like could last until this show actually because it's not like the CW where you have faith that they'll keep it around for a while. Yeah. Because, like, Batwoman had that, right? We didn't even see her yet, and they're like, well, she's probably already getting her own series, yeah. and we're yeah. going to develop it. But we know they'll stick with something Yeah, well, it hasn't launched. Like, I, I'm, I'm already going to, like, I can guarantee yeah. it's going to run at least four seasons. But sci-fi doesn't least. have that kind of cred. Yeah, no, and, 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 and that's the problem around. because they make great stuff. Yes, like, like I mean, it's I, I, the like, total yeah, opposite of what CW freaks doing. me out in the sense that like I feel like Krypton's going to run if season two doesn't pick up like in three weeks. We're going to be hearing so uh, Krypton's getting the yeah. axe. What about that Lobo? What? Yeah. What about that Lobo? What? <laughs> I don't I remember. Mean, what every every single about. year, I, I was looking through the the shows like the original shows from Sci-Fi, and I could count on three fingers like the ones that have made it past three, three and a half years on the air. Yeah. Like, Battlestar Galactica yep. was on sci-fi. That, that's really only one of note. Like, every other great show that people have loved on sci-fi uh, is gone. Uh, Magicians went for four, right? Four, yeah. Four, I think. So that was one of the other ones. Maybe, maybe five. Something I could be wrong about Magicians. Magicians was, was one of the got, longer ones. got a yeah, life. The but, like, uh, when an Earp is still in limbo after season three okay. or season two, um, oh, and then you got, like, all the ones that people love went away. Deadly Class, Happy. Um, Did people love Deadly Channel, Class? Channel Zero. I and mean, people talked about Deadly Class. Channel Zero. Um, the Expanse. Well, the Expanse was like the most celebrated show they've ever had, <laughs> yeah. critically. And then they, they axed that after three years. And the Amazon picked it up. It's everything on sci-fi I get excited they about because divert, they have good ideas. But they then it just, that money to Sharknado, it just goes, Aww, it just goes that, away. That's the franchise that keeps the channel Then make, then make a, uh, make a Hel Sharknado Wait, TV Van series. Helsing, I think, made it to four. Yeah. I mean, Sharknado keeps that, keeps sci-fi going. Four. Okay, all right. You so, say what so, you so far, we've named three. Yeah. Like I said, three fingers. And Sharknado. 
Yeah. Check, there's oh, a movie series. Man. Make a Sharknado TV series. I don't care. So Ian I mean, Ziring will do it. He needs stuff to do. Swamp Thing's canceled. The other thing about this Lobo thing is it's hard for me to feel like sci-fi will, will be able to sustain this because this feels like a series where you have to go to a lot of like, unless there's something about the series that they're doing, like where Lobo's just wandering around Earth the whole time, which sounds like Inhumans all over again. Like, <laughs> it's it sounds like high production costs. Mm -hmm. Like you need the makeup. Hey, crypto's for got some pretty high production yeah. costs, though. Yeah, I, yeah and I don't think crypto's going to be around the, two like, years only from like now. Two of those people need really? makeup as yeah, opposed it's not to, going to putting your Where main is that character money slathering from? him in makeup the whole time. Plus, he's got to go around to all these weird places in the universe yeah, and like alien bars. He's basically and stuff. just like rolled around in baby powder and. With like, I think yeah. Krypton like has I a shot. But like, Krypton has a creating, shot if it moves somewhere else. Yeah, and it, trying to create all these kinds of like aliens and alien locales that Lobo would have to be doing jobs in seems like way too high of a cost for this kind of show. Just make him a bar owner. He just owns a bar. Never leaves the bar. Yeah, like he never leaves the bar. Everybody comes to him. <laughs> That's his whole thing. I don't have to battle on everybody. All everybody the, comes to me. All the fight scenes are like the ending scene of Glass, and they're just out in the parking lot. It's going to be like, <laughs> on sci-fi, I feel like, I'm scared that it'll be like, Lobo spending a season wandering Earth looking for his bike. Like, <laughs> get off of Earth. And, and in like, the finale, yeah. they're like, he finally gets to yeah. ride it. Oh, and he, like the last shot is him zooming towards the sky. That one season of Smallville all over yeah, again. Exactly. only get so, one doomsday punch. I mean, so I want to believe in this, and I want to believe we can get the violent, because I remember when they started making Lobo, like, adult-themed comics. Yeah. Uh, and they started being things I couldn't look at in comic store. They had to be on the top row with a paper over the front of them. Like, that's where I really got into that guy. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> you know, stealing. I like Lobo, looking. but I, I'm going to be honest. The most, I, the most, the biggest Lobo moment that sticks out in my head is when the DC Marvel series came out and he went up against Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, like, the, he's, honestly, he's, the biggest thing. He's the riff off of Wolverine. Yeah. The best yeah. thing I think purpose. of is, um, what's his name? Brad Garrett from like Everybody Loves Raymond <laughs> doing him in like the animated world and like, in him and Superman, the animated series, yeah. Justice League. Like, those are my biggest, fondest I memories of Lobo. I, I, I can't think of Lobo without thinking of Roman Reigns because the he looks, he looks just like him in the every armor? way. And, like, the hair and the facial hair. And, like, when I first was, I was, like, writing freelance here, I wrote a thing about how Roman Reigns should be Lobo. And, like, that was one of the first big things oh I did. God, and yeah. I always, like, it always associates now. And I can't, like, see them apart. Now every time I see Roman Reigns, I'm going to think. You are Lobo. welcome. Bana. He's Bana. breaking into Hollywood Bana. now. This can be his Black Adam. We can see that movie in, like, 15 oh, years. Man. All right. It'll We're be great. Way. We're still getting way ahead of ourselves. So, <laughs> to sum this all up, Lobo, we want to believe in you, but... We, I mean, we also are practical betters, so we don't just, like, throw our money on the roulette table haphazardly. So I don't have a lot of faith that this will make it and sustain it. But prove we, me we wrong, will, We will see a season. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. If Krypton falls, like, I don't see this actually getting continued because what is it spinning off from? Oh, yeah, series? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Moving right along, we got to live up to the name of this show and talk about some comics. Yeah. So let me Matthew Aguilar is going to take us through what's hot in comics this week. I'm going to roll through these pretty quick here. Um, so, uh, first, just a thing of note. Uh, you can actually see some of the behind, like, the after credits of Absolute Carnage scenes. Those are starting to roll out every week in certain books so just keep your eyes out for those because that's all going to be kind of like the wolverine ones there's also variant covers on them too this time which is new. yeah like which is like the little carnage yeah like you uh, actually see the venom and symbiote spider-man yeah some covers have just the plain white logo and some have like a bit of carnage symbiote attached to it which so is pretty cool it's, it's pretty cool especially if you I mean if you're a variant hunter 
I'm waiting for the diecast cutout cover or something because those are the ones I like. Uh, we also have Amazing Spider-Man 23, which uh, Hunted ended in the last issue, but this is the epilogue. And in this one, actually, two pretty big things happen. By the way, spoilers uh, going into this week's books, but uh, they should be fine. Now you should have read it. So uh, we've got a new Craven. Because his son, because Craven actually died again. Yeah, you said in, that last time. In the event. But his son now takes over, like, officially and even, like, cuts his hair and wears the old costume. Like, he is now taking the spot of Craven. But then we also get Chameleon returning as well. So if you haven't been reading the series, it looks like, like they are really, this event kind of matters going forward. So I would definitely try and catch up if you can. Uh, Major X number five. Uh, Kofi's reaction to this news, by the way, I remember I said this in the office and your reaction was amazing. I can't <laughs> when I said that uh, they reveal who Alexander, who he is the son of, which is Cable and Storm. And I remember I said that and you were like, you just shook your head and like Boo. made a sound. Sounds like some Rob Liefeld stuff. Like, so it, it's a it's a perfectly it's it's an X-Men thing. That is a thing that you just expect X-Men to do. It's true. No, not really. Well, are you kidding me? Oh, I mean, are we expecting really? X-Men to do no. bad things? It's not the weirdest no, combination the, I've it's seen. Not it's not a weird combination. It's just like, why? Like, yeah, I mean, it just opens up. It gives me a headache because I know I have like 10 more years of storytelling about Cable and Storm now. <laughs> just gives and like, me is Storm not with Black Panther anymore? When did that, when did that not like, happen? Like, like, for me, the, for the only... Yeah, it's been a minute. The only some comics <laughs> Because Storm was all in Wakanda yeah, me, in, in the like, Shuri comic and, and stuff. And even then, like, I didn't buy it. It felt like that episode of South Park where they just tried to get, like, Token to get with the one black girl in school. Like, it just didn't feel, like, natural. It's like, wouldn't it be great Token. if this African character and his African oh, character... Oh, I'm together. sorry. You mean, like, Michonne in Walk The Walking Dead comic through the whole thing? Uh, yeah. And it basically, every, yep. and it basically, because to me, the purest Storm relationship is always going to be with with Forge. I do love like that Storm is. and Forge Storm is like the best. Like that stuff is awesome. That was like a real relationship. Okay. So that now, somebody, that so now we know really why. Kofi yeah, is on. because he <laughs> Kofi Justice ship, Kofi for Forge, Storm and Forge. <laughs> yeah, oh, so. heavily. I mean, because Chris Claremont like put a lot of work into making like these yeah. cool moments and stories, and just like. Her making out with like Forge and making it rain and they're standing dead. Like that That's kind of stuff moment. is like it's awesome. Forge gets no respect these days. Forge does not no. get any and respect. He, Forge needs to come respect. back and kick some X-Men ass personally. <laughs> he should be like the secret villain of like a major So story. man, I will make sure to keep an eye out for when that like inevitable Forge number one yeah. <laughs> comes out. I just want him to be like unmasked as like this awesome villain that everybody loves, and it turns out it's just Forge, the maker. That'd be like awesome. So, so we also have right my hurt feelings. <laughs> We also have Detective Comics 1005, which is the finale to the Arkham Knight arc. Uh, and then we've also got Event Leviathan, which is kind of the next big DC event. It's kind of spinning out of Action Comics. Uh, it's Bendis. Which I did not like. You didn't like that? No. Oh, man. I love no Bendis on Batman. I don't like that name. What is Event Leviathan? Oh, yeah, I can't so, even. Like, I, I, when I get a comic, I should be able to tell you, like, Oh, this is what this comic's like. The character's going to be about. Well, it's not really. It's it's in a like more an event miniseries spinning out of the stuff. That Why'd Bendis you put event in the title? And it's stupid. Just I don't call like it the Leviathan. Title However, what I will say is event War of the Realms number this, one. Well, no, this but it's not. It's event Leviathan is the is the name of the event that's happening in the books. Yeah, yeah it sounds bad. That's but weird. I don't the like cool it. part about this is it focuses on like it's just Batman, Lois, Green Arrow. And then they teased the question. The Green Arrow, the Green Arrow moment was a was surprise. Awesome, was yeah. Really uh, You're naming all the characters I don't. That but I, I those don't characters, like Bendis, writes them as a group really well. Like it, yeah. 
it'll have to win a lot of people over. So it's not the easiest book to just Bendis jump in. Bendis We Trust is what you're basically telling me. Uh, this is the Bendis book. This I wanted a Bendis Batman book more than I ever wanted him on Superman. Mm-hmm. So I, I, to see him write Batman is great for me. My That's biggest issue was when it was, it was a bit muddy. Like you it get is. That, that Alex Maleev mud. It's a little, yeah. I, I do like the artwork. The artwork. Yeah. Yeah. I do like to see Bendis with other artists, and I know he has like three I mean, I that love, he always wants to work with. I love, I mean, I love that. Like his, the stuff that they did on Daredevil was great. Um, the stuff they did on Moon Knight, I thought it was a lot of fun. Spider Woman yeah. was great. Uh, this just it just felt. But Batman's already a dark, dark character. character. I know. So when you put someone that is just all about shadows, it's yep. just like, I can't see anything. <laughs> I can't see anything. Uh, well, a mixed bag. All right. Yeah, Moving a on. mixed bag. Uh, and then last year, I have Prodigy number six. Uh, I know I have just gone on about this book a You've couple times. Book. I love this book, man. And it ends its arc. Uh, and it was awesome. It's just a fun Indiana Jones what type adventure. Is that the Mark Miller book? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Why, that's and it's just fun. That. So it ends here. This is like you can actually read the, all the six issues, and it's just one adventure in a title. All right. So, yeah, that's it in comics. Anything else? No, no. What is this Sonata thing you have? Well, it wasn't that, it wasn't like that important. <laughs> you take Silver Surfer Blackout and you put that book in. Silver well, Surfer Black's a great comic. Go read it. I cut that one too, by the way. Thank you very much. Because nothing really happened in it. And it's, it's true. Yeah, it's kind of you're trying to cut right. time and Kofi was like, no, no, no. I know. You wrote I was something. To cut Make time sure you own it. I kind of keep it honest with the people. <laughs> I was trying to I'll cut keep time it with the people. But then you, you call me out in the show on blast. You can't hide in these shoes. Jesus. All right. I know you have reason to leave after that, but stay tuned because when we come back, we are going to talk about the two new films dropping in theaters this week, Shaft and Men in Black International. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. All right, so... I'm going to take Shaft first because I, uh, they sent me out to see this. I don't know why they sent me, but, like, I'm just kidding. I went out to see it because I, <laughs> it because I love Shaft. Because Shaft's a bad mother. Shut your mouth. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Shaft is one of those characters that got me into black exploitation. People who listen a, to this have no idea, Kofi. I know. I know. That's the kind of joy of it. I know who I am, Jay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but, uh... Basically, like it got me into black exploitation uh, films when I was like a very impressionable age as a teenager. And um, Shaft and Superfly were like the two that, of course, I jumped into before like the Mac and a bunch of other stuff. But Shaft was always like the cool black James Bond for us. Who, if you didn't, I mean, I also watched James Bond, but it was cool to have a black James Bond. They even make a really great joke about that in this movie. They make it in the trailers, too. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, I'm sure if you've seen the Shaft trailers, you've seen the joke about you know Samuel L. Jackson saying, if that dude James Bond was real, he would think he was me. So um, Shaft is basically, at this point, with this installment from Tim Story, who did Barbershop and Fantastic Four, the original movies and all that stuff, 
Uh, this shaft just kind of doesn't take itself seriously. It's kind of like a self-parody um, in the sense that it's a comedy movie mostly. almost It's an action comedy, but mostly heavily on the comedy. And it's about Samuel L. Jackson's shaft, who was introduced in the 2001 as the nephew of uh, Richard Roundtree, the original shaft. Um, so this one is even like 19 years later. He had a kid with Regina Hall, who he became estranged from, which is the whole point of the story about how he kind of got estranged from his kid and his family. Um, but when something happens to the younger shafts, one of his friends, he realizes he's in the middle of a case in, in Harlem and in, in New York trying to investigate that he, because he grew up, his mom didn't want him to be like his dad. So he's more, he becomes an FBI data analyst and he's kind of a nerd millennial. He has like a lemon tower in his kitchen and stuff, which is like a whole gag and conversation in the movie, but he's just kind of the opposite of old school shaft. And so he has to go and kind of make contact with his dad and they got to hook up and become this odd pair buddy cop thing going on and try to solve this case. And like I said, what's great about Shaft is that it doesn't take itself seriously. It's self-parody. It's just basically an excuse for Samuel L. Jackson to get back into a character he can just kind of walk into and riff on how much he hates like millennial kids and stuff like that <laughs> is basically what it's this Samuel is. Jackson's get off my lawn movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly that's, what it sounds like, except they make it really funny and enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and the kid who plays his son, uh, I'm blanking. Brandon, on his Brandon T. Usher. Yeah. Brandon T. Usher is really good about kind of knowing his role and being this kind of new age dude, but not like being a stereotype. Like he's not just a complete, you know, coward and stuff like he part of the movie is just him realizing just how much shaft you know pun intended is in him like and kind of finding his own yes i'm not saying that pun intended is a nasty joke on the podcast charlie this is a joke that's made over and over again in the movie oh i believe it 100 yeah. it's on the poster yeah. isn't it like yeah i mean that's like the yeah, whole thing yeah. as i say is like you know there's a club scene where old shaft takes young shaft out and he's like this is my son and junior and you're like and the two girls instant response is nothing junior about this shaft like that's <laughs> this is what this movie is so you have to understand going in like when i say this is self-parody and like a comedy i mean it like yeah, all the it way it's just every lowbrow shaft penis joke you can think of sex joke you know oh man there's a thing with like they do something really gross with just like Samuel L. Jackson's beard being covered in glitter and a female character. Like it's mm -hmm. just, it's just like that, wow. and it's really enjoyable. It's very pulpy kind of, you know, pulpy crime noir spoof comedy, and it really works. It's very enjoyable just to see, you know, Brandon T. Usher, Samuel Jackson, and eventually Richard Roundtree also get in on the action. And uh, thankfully, they do away with one of the dumbest things from the series, which is they just finally say, like, Richard Roundtree, he was like, there's like a line where he's it's talking to Samuel Jackson, and he's like, yeah, you know, yeah, he pops up to something or something. He's like, well, now that you're not pretending to be my uncle anymore or something like that. Like, <laughs> which is still so crazy to me, because like, you look at those two characters, they play father and son. Richard Roundtree looks super old. He's out of shape. He's got like a gray hair and gray beard. And Samuel Jackson's like the action star of the movie. They're like... Six years apart in age. Oh, well, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson, I will say, it's there are some so shots crazy. where you can tell Samuel Jackson is still trying to wear, like, tight pants and leather in this. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely looking a little bit older. Yeah, but he looks great style. for, like, 70. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that blows my mind. Yeah, but it just it is funny. And the three of them, the final the final action sequence is great with the three of them. Um, The ladies are great in it, too. Uh, Regina Hall is in it, and she's from Scary Movies. She's really hilarious, playing uh, Brandon T. Usher's mother. And... Alexandra Ship, who plays Storm in the X-Men movies, mm -hmm. is in this. 
and she's kind of like Brandon T. Day, or Brandon T. Usher's friend and love interest, and she's really great in this, and they do a lot of things with the female characters to make them, you know, to kind of reflect New Age and how they don't, like, take crap anymore, like, and it's just kind of, it's really good. So right. it's a fun time if you're, like, a Shaft fan and you love the old ones, and you, especially if you love the 2001, you're going to like this one. So check that out. I'm still waiting for the Michael Sarah Shaft movie. Oh, gosh. <laughs> wow. Film Twitter wants it to happen. So, moving right along, we're going to finish up today with our breakdown and review of Men in Black International. Uh, Charlie and I saw this movie, but uh, Charlie stepped in and reviewed it for us, so I'm going to let him go out on this hill first and take the initial gunfire. Um, I don't know if it's like... It's not very good. I'll just I'll just go out and say it up front. Like it's it's a new version of Men in Black. You, know, you have Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth taking over for uh, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, and they're kind of taking the adventure to different places all over the world. They kind of starting in London. There's this mystery, and they kind of go around the globe trying to find this weapon and trying to uncover this secret in the Men in Black London organization. Um, and is directed by F. Gary Gray, who. You know, I love Barry Sonnenfeld for his work that he directed the first three Men in Black movies. But like F. Gary Gray is a fantastic director, and I will always like. Okay, of course F. Gary Gray is a better a better filmmaker, and there's a lot to get excited about going into that. Kumail Nanjiani is a voice of of the main alien Bonnie. character. It's great. There's so many things to love about this, but none of them really work out, um, which is really really disappointing. Yeah, Hemsworth and Thompson are great together in Thor and in Avengers and they're good together here and they both give good performances, but the characters are like completely hollow and really boring. Um, they don't have at the beginning, Tessa Thompson's character is really interesting. And then they just kind of like go away from it to make some like love story jokes that don't ever really land. Um, Camille Nanjiani remains funny the whole time. Pawnee is like the best part of the movie. Um, but it, it, Kofi and I talked a lot after the movie about why this movie didn't work. Part of it is not having Will Smith, like the ability to have somebody who, can be completely bewildered and lost, but also so confident yeah. and exciting at the same time. Um, you know, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, each of their characters were like a half of what, if you, yeah. if you put their characters together, you got Will Smith's character agency. Yeah. And the bigger thing was, was moving it around the globe. Like, so much was lost in that. There's so yeah. much charm in the original Men in Black because it's in New York City and there's an alien working, you know, the tabloid newsstand and like, there, there are people under the subways and things that we all know and are used to seeing became extraordinary. There's a whole world underneath the streets and underneath what we thought we knew. Yeah. And that made it so charming yeah. and fun. The simplicity and that was like, of that. Yeah. The whole thing about that, just taking the baton is like, yeah, that's what makes MIB work as the characters and the movies themselves. They're a secret organization that hides in plain kind of sight they're just dudes in suits that look like every other dude in suits. And the world that we think we know, like you said, isn't the world we know because there's this whole other world of right. alien, you know, human harmony living going on right in front of us every day. And that was kind of the whole hook of that series and what made it great and made it feel like you something as fantastical as aliens everywhere were very grounded because the aliens were like in New York at these familiar locales and they themselves became kind of like New yeah. Yorkers in and, a way. and they weren't like, like big spectacles like one was just a talking dog the most memorable yeah. alien from the whole Frank. franchise is a <laughs> Frank the pug you know and then no matter what they do you know no matter how long Jay's been in the organization Will Smith can still act surprised by the things he finds yeah and the, that, that kind of pairing together and the grumpy time with Lee Jones like it just worked really well and, uh, and this didn't have any yeah. of those things. And it's weird because I feel like this movie is one that somehow manages to not be the sum of all of its parts, even though 
all the parts are good. Right. Like, F. Gary Gray is arguably a better director for a blockbuster than Barry Sonnenfeld is. Right. You have Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, who are both, like, red hot, and at the top of their game in terms of, like, comedic stuff and have a relationship with each other and chemistry with each other to be able to riff with each other and kind of act with one another after Thor. And you would think, you know, bigger budget, bigger scope, like, there would be more interesting ideas at work in here, and it's just not. It's it, just it, was, like, it was void of interesting like, things. I'm period. supposed to be impressed by a thing, a, a set, like a little location tag that says Marrakesh, and even though something just boring and generic happens, like a generic chase scene, and not notice because look at this exotic locale, aliens, and like, and don't you amaze? And it's like, no, not really. Like, nothing, it's like nothing ever felt real. Yeah. Like even in the streets of London, at the very beginning of the movie, there's these aliens come to take. Uh, the weapon from the alien that they're working with, and there's like this shootout in this street of this empty street in London, and it feels like a set. It piece. just it looks like a set piece. It's like this doesn't feel real, even though it's in a real place. It's like somebody it just somebody all put that debris up there really nicely. Like the the I like yeah. the way the glue is holding. Like yeah, yeah. Everything in New York felt true felt like, to New York. Yeah, and it felt like Universal Studios. It felt like you were at Universal Studios, like on a Men in Black ride, basically. Yeah, and. That's not the way it should be. I wish they had just taken more time to, like, yeah, focus on one location. Call it Men in Black International. Just keep it in London and just, like, explore. And London's yeah. such an interesting city with all of its history and all the things that are physically in that city. Like, explore catacombs or things like that or other things that are, like, all aliened out. And, yeah, I think the biggest crime is at least Sonnenfeld has a lot of imagination. He packed, like, every shot with stuff. If you weren't watching the main Men in Black stuff, you could look around a shot and see cool little Easter eggs of like aliens doing this, that, or the other, or designs. And this is kind of like bereft of all of that. It's mm -hmm. just so, every shot is not interesting. They don't like fit little cool things in there. And it's just kind of uh, ultimately boring. And, and they try to throw like three twists at you and they're like all so painfully yeah. predictable that when they start to get set up at the very beginning of the movie, you're like, so that's a twist. It's coming yeah. back later. And sure enough, and it's just all predictable. Yeah, it, it's there are fun things to there are fun moments to be had. I mean, Pawnee, like I said, is is really funny. There's some cool, a good some good fight scenes from F. Gary Gray. He directed a couple fight scenes really well, but yeah, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty forgettable. Yeah, well. I mean, if you wait for this one on home video, we're on HBO. You're not you're not wrong yeah. in your thinking. I don't think the franchise is dead. I will say that. I feel like this is the Fast and Furious of the Men in Black franchise. The, 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 the fourth movie. Yeah, the fourth yeah. movie in the sense that it's kind of like a reboot. And the reboot itself is not very interesting, but it does open the door to possibly more interesting things. If, if they can somehow get Will Smith to agree to do one, and you have these new characters with Will Smith and potentially with Tommy Lee Jones, you've got something really great with the, yeah. the talent that's on the screen. Yeah, if he were to come back you've and do one, because uh, it's not a spoiler to say where it sets up it is it sets them up so that you know the New York Men in Black, the London Men in Black, all that that connection is still going to be there. And like, yeah, if you threw Will Smith back into the next one, like, yeah, you would you would give this a shot of fuel that it needs. So it's not dead because, yeah. like, like I said, the parts are all good, but yeah. just somehow the sum of them is just not. Yeah, I wish clarify creatively, it's it is not dead. No, financially, we we don't we don't we know. don't know yet. Yeah, the I international that. in the title really is going to is telling of, of what the yeah, box office is going to be. Yeah, what kind of money? The international market's going to have to save this one, I think. So I think we can wrap it up. We won't beat up on uh, Men in Black too hard. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward case, but uh, you can read Charlie's full review on comicbook.com or watch it. Uh, by the time you hear this, it'll be up. So choose wisely this weekend, going to the theater, my droogies. All right, so <laughs> moving right along. 
If you are just getting into this comic book nation journey, we put up new episodes every Wednesday and Friday on comicbook.com. We have an RSS feed there. You can subscribe to the show. You can subscribe on a bunch of your favorite listening platforms, iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Playlists, Google Podcast, and you can tell any Amazon Alexa device to play Comic Book Nation podcast and we'll fire up for you. We also appreciate you guys leaving some good reviews on these venues. If we find uh, five-star reviews from you, we read them on the show periodically, and we send you some comic book swag. And I am happy to announce, as Jim Viscardi holds it up proudly, we now have official Comic Book Nation t-shirts. Boom! Not just comicbook.com t-shirts, but Comic Book Nation t-shirts, so that you guys, you true fans, can go out there and represent in the fully correct way uh, for the show. Yeah, pretty lovely. And to kind of kick off this milestone, we're going to read a couple reviews Ooh, and send couple. some people some of these nice new t-shirts. So uh, we're going to read one called Worth It from Jeremy from AR. And Jeremy said, I went on a cruise and mostly watched Cartoon Network the entire time. I'm 31 years old. Good detail. Because it was the best <laughs> thing on. Thank you, Adult Swim. I found this podcast trying to research who the 16 Titan would be uh, because the network spammed it. I really like the host and, of course, love the movie series they talk about. I feel like I gained useful information listening and added it to my list of 21 other podcasts I keep up with each week. My job is easy, so I just listen all day. Thanks. No, thank you, Jeremy. Very much. And if you hear this, let us know. Hit us up so we can get you a comic book t-shirt. For realsies. Uh, Come for the Nerds, Stay for the Nerds by Kenny Plus Music. It's awesome to have a condensed spot for all my fandoms to be discussed. Between this and a wild podcast has appeared, I'm up to date each week on everything happening in my nerd life. Thanks for being my go-to source. That's a shout-out to our sister podcast. A wild podcast has appeared, which is a Pokemon podcast. So if you're a Pokemon fan, be sure you are also subscribing to that one. Because as you can see, it's getting some love. And Awesome PC by A. Herbert. I think that means podcast. Yes, podcast. Awesome podcast. <laughs> Makes By sense. By A. Yeah. Herbert. Love this show. The Outlaw brings amazing insight and perspective. Clean and fun. Give it a uh, listen. Outlaw. Are you the outlaw now? Is that what we have to call you? I, I don't claim to be. I don't know. Uh, I'm just a guy. <laughs> I'm just no, a guy my father who is the outlaw. Podcast. So... Those are three reviews we like to thank you for. If you guys want to continue the conversation with us, hit us up at the hashtag Comic Book Nation. And also, if you heard your review read, hit us up there and let us know where we can send your T-shirt. We need your size and we need your address. If you want to hit us up individually, you can always find me on Twitter at Kofi Outlaw. You can hit me up at Matt Aguilar CB. And I'm at Charlie Ridgeling. That'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. Thank you guys for riding with us. 40 episodes strong, and here's to 40 more. We'll see you guys next time. We're out. Deuces.